Good morning. Welcome to another episode of Crime Over Coffee. We're your host. I'm Abby. And I'm Erica. Today, we're going to be telling you guys the last part of the Watts family. So grab your coffee and let's dive in. If you guys have not listened to our first two episodes on the Watts family, go back and check those out. We're going to finish up this story by discussing the full confession that later came out from Chris Watts on what actually happened on the day that he murdered his family. And then we're going to kind of dive into his killer typology and maybe some other things that were going on in regards to that. In February of 2019, there was a five-hour-long interview from prison where Chris Watts accounts what happened that day. He also has released a series of letters. All of these things have little bits that are slightly different, but we're going to give you guys the gist of it. On the morning of August 13th, Chris woke Shannon up and was apparently getting ready for work, but ended up talking to her about their marriage and their future and had in a fight about the affair that Chris was having. And Shannon was very suspicious of the affair and he denied it, but it escalated. And he eventually told her that their marriage wasn't going to last and that he did not love her. And it's at this point that he gets on top of Shannon and strangles her to death. At some point, Bella walked into the room and asked what was wrong with her mom. And he told Bella that Shannon was sick and needs to go to the doctor. He then sent Bella back to her room and wrapped Shannon in a sheet and dragged her down the stairs and put her in the back of his truck. At this point, Bella and Celeste had woke up and they were crying and concerned. They knew something was going on. And Chris gathered them and put them in the backseat of his truck and drove off to the work site. When they arrived, he took Shanann's body out of the truck and then proceeded to smother Celeste in the backseat of the truck, killing her. He then put her body into an oil tank nearby, and this whole time Bella is watching. And at some point, she says, is the same thing going to happen to me as CC to Chris? Chris then used a blanket to also smother Bella and put her into a separate oil tank and buried Shannon nearby. What Chris told investigators was that he didn't know what he was thinking at the time and that there was, quote, something else, end quote, controlling him that day. And he was talking about this rage he was having and that he had lost his mind and couldn't control this rage. He also, at some point in his letters later on, claims that when he tucked his daughters in the night before that he said to himself this is going to be the last time I'm tucking my daughters in which points to him having planned this a little bit well when I saw that he had supposedly had a rage kill and like he couldn't stop once he started I was like that is such a bs excuse he spent 45 to 50 minutes loading up the truck at his house which we see on the neighbor's camera And then he spends another 45 minutes driving to the work site. That is an hour and a half, a little over an hour and a half of time where he would have to like cool down. He was obviously able to stop enough to get himself together to load up the truck and to get there. So I always thought that was BS. 
I agree. I, you know, for the most part, a lot of stuff that comes out of this man's mouth, I think it's just him trying to cover his ass and there's no covering it. Like everyone knows what you did. Everybody pretty much assumes it. What we have now though with this confession is at least people are not looking to Shannon for any type of blame because as Erica mentioned in a prior episode, Chris, you know, he said that Shannon killed the girls and that's why Chris killed Shannon. And people were lashing out at Shannon even though she was gone and she had absolutely nothing to do with the deaths of her daughters. Yeah, one thing that I had seen, I don't think I necessarily talked about it in the last episodes, but Chris did say that he never even thought to blame Shannon until the polygraph administrator had suggested that or like asked that as a question and then he was like oh yeah that's a good idea I'm gonna go with that I know we had kind of speculated but Chris actually came out and said I wasn't gonna pretend that I was just gonna like kind of play dumb but then that excuse or story kind of fell into his lap and he went with it one thing that we came across as well is and I don't remember where I found I think it was in one it was in one of the documentaries I watched but Shannon's parents came out and they said that they don't believe that Shannon and Chris had argued that morning. And they said that the reason for believing that is because there was no evidence really that Shannon had fought back. And so they believed that Chris had attacked Shannon while she was asleep. And so there was no way for them to have argued that morning. Yeah, I wonder how much of the argument part of the claim is him trying to say that the murder happened out of an act of compassion and it was not premeditated but i would argue that it definitely was premeditated the mystery has been solved here at crime over coffee our go-to caffeinated beverage for every episode is fire department coffee and you can get some as well and save 15 percent with our exclusive coupon code crimepod15 Owned and operated by firefighters and veterans, 10% of all their proceeds go directly to helping sick and injured first responders. And with an incredible range of flavors and caffeine strength, it's a company that all of us can easily support. So please go to firedeptcoffee.com and use our coupon code CRIMEPOD15 to support us, support them, help first responders, and get some incredibly tasty coffee along the way. Well, I think we... We briefly discussed that in our last episode where we talk about how he, it later came out that he had called people off of the job site that day so that nobody else would be at his job site when he got there with a body and two other murders. And he had listed the house with a realtor without Shannon's knowledge. And he had already called the girls school and unenrolled them in school. Yeah, it was definitely premeditated. Like, I just, I don't know why. I mean... I don't even know that I should say. I don't know why he was changing his story so much. He obviously just sucks. Like he's just a terrible person. Oh, yeah. His story changes all the time. And now he's coming out and he's saying, like, he is so sorry for everything. And, like, he understands that it was a terrible thing to do. And, like, it obviously was a terrible thing to do. I don't know how he can change so much. And I just think he's so much of a manipulator that what he's saying probably isn't true. And he's just saying it to try to make people feel bad for him. Right. And in in that confession, he says he's remorseful and that he found God. And, you know, he's he's giving all these things. And I don't I mean, maybe he is remorseful. I don't know. But for me personally, I don't buy it. And maybe that's I don't know what that says about me or doesn't say about me, but 
this whole case and watching how he acts and how he went about everything, I just, I don't think there's any type of compassion there. I completely agree. I see no compassion. I don't know how he can have remorse in this situation. It just doesn't seem possible to me. You know, one thing that I find crazy that I thought of a couple times while researching this, and I don't know that it's absolutely true, but it's something that I could see being possible because we've seen it so many times in the past. There is a good chance that there are people out there, female or male, that are writing to him and saying things like, you know, that they like resonate with him or there's people that like admire him. I'm sure there are out there because we've seen that with Ted Bundy. We saw that with Gacy. We've seen that with so many different serial killers and individuals that have gone to prison for a crime that they committed that was just horrific. And then there's other people that are like, meh, it's okay. I look up to you for some reason. And I just was thinking about that as I was researching and I was like, what if there's people out there that are sending him letters admiring him? I mean, I'm sure there are. There's, I mean, there's a lot of serial killers that aren't caught in the U.S. And a lot of people, at least with those tendencies and their values and thought processes and what they think is wrong and right is not the norm. So I feel like what's happening is they're identifying with these people and finally finding someone who understands and and finding comfort. And that's why they're writing letters to them, which... I mean, obviously is all kinds of messed up for so many levels, but I think that's what's happening is they're finally finding someone who understands how they feel. Obviously, it's not the right way to feel, but yeah, just as I was researching, it just kind of made me feel sick to my stomach to think about that. I think one of the biggest questions that we have in the Watts family case is why did Chris do it? I don't know that we'll ever get a full on why he did it. I think it was most likely, as we've discussed, he really wanted to be with his girlfriend that he was also dating when he was married to Shannon, and that was Nicole. And I think that he wanted to be with her so much that he somehow felt like the only way to put his old life behind him with his wife and his two children was to end their lives, to basically bury that whole past so that he could start a new past with Nicole. That actually, I mean, he says that at some point in his letters that this, in his head, he says this was the only way he was going to be with her. That's, I don't really think that's how things work. I did see at one point that Shannon told him, like, you're never going to see the kids again mm-hmm. when they were arguing. And that was, so then he was like, well, if I can't have the kids, then you can't either kind of thing, which. Oh, yeah. There's all kinds of control issues with this man. Absolutely. It's it's insane. And I do feel bad. We didn't really talk about it much. I do feel bad for Nicole Kessinger in this situation and scenario because she didn't know what he was going to do for their relationship. Yeah, she was. I think she's really an innocent bystander. She was misled. And I, I mentioned it in a previous episode. As soon as she kind of caught wind and felt like Chris was lying about stuff after the murder, she went to the police and said, he's being weird. And, you know, I she was definitely a victim in this situation as well. Absolutely. I just feel bad for her. I mean, if I was dating somebody and they're like, hey, I killed my entire family for us to be together. That I just feel so bad for her for having to even be in that situation. Yeah, it's like almost putting weight on her. That's not her fault. And then also he was lying about so much throughout the relationship and to a very extreme point, like talk about trust issues. So 
we like I, we've said a couple times i mean we we don't know the exact why but we do have some speculation it could be just because of anything he maybe just snapped I, we don't know but he does fall into a category of killers though and that would be a family annihilator so i'm going to explain this a little bit and kind of give you guys an idea of why chris falls into this category so Family annihilation cases, there are about 10 to 12 cases a year of family annihilators, which is a lot. And while I was looking into family annihilation specifically, I came across a couple. There's actually one that I have researched already that we'll be recording soon. And so that one will be coming out of another family annihilation case. Um, quick question before you keep going. Is that 10 to 12 in the U.S. a year? So I think that it's in the world. There's a Dr. Neil Websdale that did an interview where he talked a lot about family annihilators. And that's where we're, where I'm getting the majority of this information. He is the director of the Family Violence Institute at Northern Arizona. So family annihilators is a term that is used to describe men who murder their entire families. It can also be referred to as familiacide which is a lot harder word to say than family annihilator. So that's what I'll continue to say for those of you who know that I can't speak. Plus, not to mention, Eric and I are avid criminal minds watchers and they definitely say family annihilator often. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Typically, men who annihilate their families are white males in their 30s. Their family can include their partner or spouse and at least one or more children, and it will typically end in suicide. A lot of times we see the individual having been prompted by some sort of stressor or some sort of incident. In this case, it is potentially the argument that Chris states Shannon and him had prior to him attacking her in regards to a potential divorce and him not being able to see his children ever again. One third of the men that fall into a family annihilator are more repressed offenders. And a lot of times they don't have a history of any sort of domestic violence. They just one day wake up and have like a psychotic break or they just snap. A lot of times you'll see though in these situations that the family annihilator does have an overwhelming sense of rage. It's something that they've been able to control for a long amount of time. And then one day, it just, like I said, they snap and all of that rage just takes them over and it, it can end very violently. In this case specifically, there is no evidence that Chris had attempted to take his own life. He does at one point talk about how he was considering ending his own life as he was driving the girls in Shannon to his job site. But as we are well aware he is still alive and rotting in prison. Chris also, there was no history of domestic violence in their relationship. So he does fall into that category of being a more repressed offender. And it's like we said, believed to have been driven by him wanting to start a new relationship. Dr. Websdale that, like I said, did this interview where he discussed family annihilators, 
did say that he thinks is something to note the fact that Chris didn't commit suicide. He thinks that it really points out and shows the aggressive narcissistic personality that Chris had. Like he thought he was going to be able to get away with murdering his wife and two children. He didn't think that the police were going to bat an eye in his direction when all of a sudden three people were just missing. A lot of times we'll also see with family annihilators that they have some sort of mental disorder. In this case specifically, it is believed that Chris has antisocial personality disorder, which is the same thing as being a sociopath. If you guys want a lot of detail about sociopaths, psychopaths, we did do a mini episode about it. I don't even know how many months back, a couple months back, many months back. I don't know. It is not on our Patreon. It is on our regular feed. So you guys can go back and look at that and look more into it. But basically, a sociopath shows no guilt or remorse. They show no regard for right or wrong. They're persistent liars and they can kind of attempt to mimic other people's feelings. So in this situation, him saying that he's remorseful and feels sorry and guilty about murdering his pregnant wife and two children, most likely it would not be true. It would be him just trying to say that in order to make himself look better in the situation or in hopes of trying to get off of his sentencing earlier. I don't foresee that ever being able to happen. I mean, he was sentenced to life with no parole and he pled guilty, meaning that there is no way that he'll ever be able to fight that sentencing that he received. A lot of times we can see in the family annihilation cases where the individual murdering their entire family feels like they're doing it to kind of spare the family from a certain thing. So they can think of it as themselves protecting their family from embarrassment or financial stress or anything like that. There was a case of a man who killed his wife and children because they were thousands of dollars in debt and he thought that if he killed them, it would be beneficial for both of them and everybody involved because they would not be in this financial debt anymore. So that's the main characteristics of a family annihilator. And like we said, Chris Watts does fit into this category of a killer. It's really unfortunate the whole way this whole thing played out. And I know Abby agrees. This has been a, a really rough case to research and to put all the thing, all the information together and then be able to present it for you guys without sobbing throughout the entire episode. We also did our best to, at the beginning, not immediately condemn Chris when we're explaining everything. We did our best. He condemned himself along the way. There is no he hiding did. what he did. He was so obvious. It was extremely obvious. We just know that there's maybe a, a handful of people who are new to the world, not even the world of true crime, just the world, that weren't aware of Chris Watts and what he did to his family. I think that this case was highly publicized and the majority of people knew about it. So we weren't super cautious to not tell you guys that Chris did it like we have been in previous episodes where we try to present it as the evidence was found. We just want to leave this episode giving our truest condolences to the family and everybody who was involved in this other than Chris, obviously. And we hope that from all of this, we can focus and remember Shannon and the girls and their family and less about the person who took them away. Hey guys. Say hi, Cece. Say hi, Bells. Hi, Bells. No, you gotta say hi. Hi. Your hair. So I, um, Bella saw my video earlier and she was like, I want to do that. So we went live and I have my new tripod, tripod, tripod that just came in the mail. So I'm super excited to be using it hands free. 
we say goodbye to everybody? Bella? Bye. Wave. Can they have kisses? Yeah. Hey, kisses. Hug. Hug? Okay. Oh. Say bye, Cece. Oh. Oh. Will they have kisses? <laughs> bye, guys. <laughs> 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 Love the laugh. <laughs> oh no no no! I got a phone. <laughs> Little turkey. Okay. Bye. <laughs> You're so sweet. Cece, blow kisses. birthday though. Tell Lori you love her. I love her. And I miss you. I miss you. And happy birthday. Happy birthday. Say have a great day. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Crime Over Coffee. You can find us on Instagram at Crime Over Coffee or on Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast, where all of our photo and video content for each episode can be found. You can also email us your thoughts and case suggestions at crimeovercoffeepod at outlook.com. Also, all of our sources can be found in the show notes of each episode. If you would like, you can support us by going to anchor.fm slash crimeovercoffee. Donations are greatly appreciated and assist in making the podcast possible. Other ways to support us include recommending us to friends and family, giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening medium. So again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.